Welcome to The Marissa Morrison Show, where you'll discover your inner power to create the life you desire. I'm Marissa, and I began my business as a 19-year-old, single mom, broke, and in college. Today, I run a seven-figure business that teaches entrepreneurs how they can have it all without the frustration and overwhelm. Abundance, peace, joy, and overflowing love are available to you. And I'm here to show you the way to a richer, more vibrant life that radiates into your business, bringing you higher profits and profound fulfillment. You see, when you connect with the miracle that is you, you become an unstoppable force that doesn't need to push for success. Consider this an invitation to step into a new world of possibilities, empowering perspectives, and radical breakthroughs. Buckle up and get ready to see the world around you in an entirely new light. This is your life, and you don't need to wait to experience your dreams. It all starts now. Hello and welcome. I am so thrilled that you're here. We are getting ready to start a beautiful journey together where I am going to be extremely vulnerable and reveal very intimate parts of my life and my story. And through doing so, you are going to gain wisdom, expertise, knowledge, and a unique message that is specific for you. Throughout history, we have taught through stories. Our ancestors back way in the day in you know the times of cavemen where they would draw on the stone and really preserve this element of who they are and to teach and to give these stories all the way through religion and through the stories that you heard growing up. It is in history, in science, in the books that you read. And neuroscience has shown us that in all actuality, we learn most through stories. Now, I'm not going to get into the exact facts of those studies, but what I do want you to know is that it is a proven fact that stories are powerful. And the reason that I'm going to teach many of these episodes through my own story is because when we teach through stories, our subconscious mind is creating a lesson that is unique and specific to us. So what you will find is when you leave this episode, you will have many things that you learn because I am going to teach you. I'm going to make sure that as we share this time together, that I'm going to give you exact knowledge and how-tos throughout my story. And at the end, I'm going to also challenge you in reflecting in your own life so that you can expand who you are. But not only that, throughout today, throughout this week, you will see that new ideas pop into your mind when you're driving or showering or brushing your teeth or making food. These ideas and this wisdom that is only yours and specific for you is going to be delivered. And that's a promise. And as a matter of fact, I intend to do an entire episode on the power of the subconscious mind and how it works for us. Because here's the thing. We know that in our society, we desire actively step-by-step instructions. We want to know what's the strategy? What are you doing? How is it working? We will search YouTube and Google for specific instructions. And while these strategies are powerful, which is awesome that we have access, that we live in a modern era where this information is available to us, and believe me, I'm all about it, I'm going to give you mixed in with these stories. Many of the episodes will be exact information and exact how-to. So I'm all about it. And in actuality, 
all strategies work, but it's the energy of the person behind the strategy that creates that momentum and the actual workability of that strategy. And so today I am going to begin what we can call chapter one of the story of my life. And through doing so, I am going to give you so much to think about. Now, before we begin, I want to make sure that you are conscious and aware of triggers that show up. In our society, it is a popular thought that, hey, I'm going to stay away from this trigger. You know, oh, don't say that around me. It triggers me. And while I want to create space to honor and recognize that and to respect you, I also know that after coaching hundreds of other human beings, that oftentimes these triggers are a guidepost. It's not something to really run away from. It's something to pause and to ask, why is this there? And what is this coming from? How can I evolve from this? Because here's the thing. If you live your life believing that this is a trigger for you, you will always stay stuck. You will never evolve. And on this show, we are all about you evolving and expanding into your highest potential, into your fullest, most beautiful life. And your fullest, most beautiful life, my friend, does not include consistent triggers that come up in your life that you need to avoid. A beautiful life of freedom is one where you can move effortlessly through your life, managing and feeling your emotions truly and wholly in a way that allows you to move from moment to moment in a state of joy, in a state of acceptance, and with peace of mind, even when the unwanted feelings arrive, which we will talk so much more about on this show. But please embrace your triggers. And one thing that I want to give you right now is when it arises, and it likely will, because I personally have experienced many traumas that you likely have as well, and that may be quote unquote triggering for you. I want to challenge you to resist the judgment of your emotions. Oftentimes we'll have this thing where it like comes up and we're like upset that we're upset or we're like frustrated that we're feeling down or wishing we didn't have this trigger. And it's the judgment of how we feel that actually suppresses or represses that emotion, that feeling, that trauma, and it keeps us stuck in our bodies. And so what I want you to do is just to consider why and then get close connection to your body and the sensations that you're feeling and simply release that feeling. Okay. Are you ready? It's time to begin. All right. So when I came into the world, I came into the world with a very unique set of parameters. My dad had four children, four daughters, five children actually, four daughters and one son. My mother had one son. And my mom's son was from a different husband. And my dad's children were from a different wife. So I was the only child between the two of them. Another unique factor here is that my dad was 63 years old. And my mom was 41. So not only were my parents older in life, a little further along than most, but they also had a very large gap between their own age. And in addition to this, my nearest sibling, because of their ages, on my dad's side was 22 years older than me. And on my mom's side, my brother was nearing 18. 
And so when I came into the world, I was an only child, really and truly. I had siblings, yes. I also was born an aunt (laughs) because my siblings had children. (laughs) Today I'm 33 and my oldest sibling is in her 70s. And so it's wild to think about, but this is the context of which I enter the world. And for my parents, it really was not easy. It wasn't like this thing of, oops, okay, I'm pregnant. Here we go. It actually was something that they really had to work for and believe in and keep going. My mom had nine miscarriages, and she even had a baby that had a chromosome disorder. She named him Micah, and he lived five days, and he died on Christmas Day. And my dad was really done. You know, he was done having children. He was like, I'm, I'm done with this. You know, I'm 63. I've had children. You've had children. You know, let's, let's stop. But my mom felt deep down that she was meant to have a little girl. She knew that it was going to be a little girl. My mom is a Christian, devout Christian, and very devoted to her faith and her relationship to God. And she felt a knowing within her being that she was to have a little girl. She knew that this was destined for her. Even though she had faced all of this adversity and struggle and pain that she had to walk through, almost unimaginable. I mean, even now thinking about it, nine miscarriages and losing a baby after giving birth, I mean, that's pretty painful. And there are many women out there who have gone through this, you know, and gosh, we have to have so much compassion for them. So my mom, my mom came to my dad and said, look, you know, I... I know that I'm supposed to have a little girl. I know that this is supposed to happen. And my dad said, okay, you know, let's let's give it a go. And it also was reconfirmed to her because my brother would jump on the bed even years before, you know, they even started trying. And he would jump on the bed and say, I want a sister. I want a sister. And so they went forward and they tried again. And she became pregnant. And that pregnancy was me. The doctors urged her to not follow through with the pregnancy. They gave her the option to take a pill that would end the pregnancy. But how could she do that? How could she do that whenever she knew in her soul that this was destined to be? And here she was pregnant. So there was no chance that she was going to listen to them. And so her pregnancy went on and her belly grew. And she was in a restroom one time, as the story goes, as she told me. She told me that there was a little girl with curly brown hair that was with her mother, and she heard the mother say, Marissa. And in that instant, she knew that was the name that she was to name me. And so I was born. I came into the world. I was their miracle, the child that they prayed for and that they believed God for and kept going after. I was a wild child. I would as the story goes, because I don't actually remember this, but I would run around naked. You know, I was naked all the time. (laughs) People would come over and I was naked. (laughs) And I was playful and rambunctious. And I even, I do remember this. I remember talking to myself in the shower. Like there were times when I was in the shower and, you know, doing my shampoo and my conditioner. And I was like pretending like I was on it you know, those commercials, like infomercials where they're like showing a product and selling it. All right, guys, we only have three left. You know, I would go to my grandmother's and, you know, I would see those. And so 
in actuality, my mom lost her mom when she was nine years old. And so my quote unquote grandmother on my mom's side was my great aunt. My dad's parents had already passed. And so this was the only form of grandparent that I had. My mom's dad was still alive. We saw him here and there, but it was my grandmother, Mama D, who was my great aunt in actuality. That was my grandmother. And so seeing these shows is something that I saw often whenever I would visit her. And so I'd be in the shower and I'm like, all right, people, here is the shampoo of the day. When you put it into your hand, you only put a squeeze this size, you know, and I would be pretending to act out this infomercial. (laughs) I also remember having these dolls and I had like this notebook where I could write the students' names in and I would pretend like I was the teacher and I wrote their names on their forehead, which my dad actually got really mad at me for because it was something he provided and I ruined it. But I was, you know, is Jenna here today? Is Michael here today? And I would punish them and put them in timeout. And so I just had this wild imagination. I, like I shared with you, was an only child. I grew up on three acres. And so I love to be outside. I love to play. And as I got older, my brother, my mom's side of the family, who was closer to me, he was a carpenter. And he built me like this dollhouse outside that was really like a human girl-sized dollhouse as an adult. It kind of had a point at the roof where an adult could stand, but at the edges of the building, you kind of would have to duck. But for me, it was perfect. And so that was like my playroom in there. And so I just was absolutely alive and full of joy and just life. I had ideas and I was totally and fully me. Now, the first form of expectations in my life and my experience in this life has come at that time in the form of swimming and schooling. You see, I was raised in church and I was told that I was special and that I had a calling over my life. And I remember feeling like this waiting of hearing what that calling was. Like, how am I going to figure this out? Like, it's up to me. I need to listen. I'm going to hear a voice from God. This being is going to come down and tell me what my purpose is. And so I was eagerly waiting for that. And, you know, that didn't come for quite some time. And we'll talk much, much more about that as we continue on. But in this pursuit of being good and being loved, I got my first D. And I remember my dad sitting me down and he said, okay, Marissa, we are going to talk about this because do you realize how close this is to an F? And it was very, very serious to my father. His mind, he was born 1926, okay? So his perspective was that the only way for me to be successful in life was to go to college. And in order to do so, I had to get good grades. So it was in his mind, in his ability to perceive what was best for me, I had to get good grades. Like there's no other way. And if I got a D and being in first grade, that is a terrible start to life. And, you know, I'm already failing. And so for me, these expectations in school was really one of the first lessons I learned of where my value was, how I was accepted, and pleasing other people. And not long after that, in third grade, I was diagnosed with ADHD. 
and I went to many psychologists. I was on many different medications and many different diets. I remember, you know, in school, for example, like the kids, when they would do good or answer a question right, they'd get chocolate. I would get these Reese's because I could only have peanut butter because chocolate wasn't good or red dyes. And my mom became fanatic about or passionate about health and wellness. And so that really was a positive thing, but also it became a limitation that was put upon me of what I could eat, what I couldn't eat, what I could drink, what I couldn't drink. And in addition to going to different counselors and psychologists and sitting down with my family and talking through things. And my dad became very physically and verbally abusive to me as time went on. But because I was this like wild child and this full ferocious being, I fought back. (laughs) I wasn't going to let him do that to me. (laughs) You know, I would argue and I would push my way and I would do all that I could to defend myself and prove my innocence. And since my mom was this loving, nurturing spirit that was devoted to God, she fought for me. My dad was Catholic, and it's not to say that every Catholic is as my dad or that every Christian is as my mom. This is just the dynamics of my own life and the story that I'm able to tell you. And so this created a lot of strife in our home, and it was always centered around me. What was the best way to raise me? My dad was all about, how's the saying go? Spare the rod, spoil the child. There you go. And so he was all about whipping and being the disciplinarian and this authority over me. And my mom was a little more of the nurturing and supportive and guiding spirit in my life. And so I had these two distinct dichotomy in my experience, you know, these extremes of control, manipulation, force and love, nurturing, understanding. I even remember my mom, she would discipline me in a different way than my dad. If my dad wasn't there, then she would, you know, I remember she'd have a brush (laughs) and she would sit me down and she'd say, Marissa, you know, I love you, but what you did, you know, that that wasn't the right decision. And because of that, I am going to have to spank you. And it was this preface that she led with and this introduction of the spanking that allowed me to emotionally prepare for it. And even after she would hug me, you know, but with my dad, it was full rage and anger and, you know, uncontrolled verbal choices that came from him that were very emotionally destructive to my being and, and that I really based my value around. And So from there, I really began to want to please my dad. You know, I wanted to prove that I was good enough. But the thing is, is, you know, looking back, not every memory with my dad was bad. I have a lot of really good memories. As a matter of fact, I remember my mom would, you know, I'd lay across her lap and she would tickle my back and then he would carry me to bed. And one night he would tickle my back. One night he would massage my back. And so It wasn't that all of my memories were bad. In fact, I have many good memories. Another memory is my dad had a riding lawnmower and I would sit in the back and I remember him being like, you're daddy's girl. You know, so my dad was loving, but he did not have control over his emotions. And what he believed to be true and right for me, he forced upon me in a way that was not loving. 
And so as my parents went through this journey of what's right for Marissa, how are we going to raise her? Good Lord, she's getting D's. It's the end of the world. We have to do something. She has ADHD. Like, you know, they really saw me as this child that needed to be fixed. It was a problem that needed a solution. And so what they did is they basically started to send me to different schools. They thought that the curriculum and the way that the classes were set up, you know, would be a different experience for me. And they would find the one that I needed most. And so I actually, throughout my experience of childhood, never went to a school more than two years. And this really affected the way that I formed relationships, that I maintained relationships. And I enjoyed it. It was fun. It was thrilling. Like, it's exciting to go to a new school to be the new student. But also, again, it just was like I was the the thing that needed to be fixed and the source of arguing in our home and never really making the grades that my dad wanted. And this resulted in that verbal and physical abuse. Another form of expectation, as I shared, was in my swimming. Now, in this area, I was actually pretty good. I started at the age of five. My parents got me in this team called BTAC, Bengal Tiger Aquatic Club. And it was the first place that I found my value and my confidence. At this point in my life and my experience of this body and this form, you know, it was the first time that I was good enough. It was the first time that, you know, I had recognition and approval. Whereas in school, I had none of that. It was like, you know, there was no approval whatsoever. And I also remember throughout this, you know, even though I was, you know, gaining confidence in my ability to swim, I still felt as though deep down that I was never good enough for my dad. I felt that he should have been proud of me or more proud of me, you know, and I didn't really receive it. It's kind of like when you go after a goal and you immediately go after the next goal, but you never take time to like celebrate that win. It felt like that with my dad. And it felt like, you know, he may say good job, but then immediately would put me down about something else. And so it never felt like this genuine approval from my father that I desperately wanted so badly, even though at the time I might would have disagreed and fought against that idea. And so as I went on, you know, in school, even though I wanted, it's so interesting, you know, even though I wanted this approval from my dad in school, I didn't really actually try. I didn't have a real reason. I was just wanting to play. I was distracted by my joy and my playfulness and the people and the idea of focusing for school was just so far from my drive in my life at the time. You know, I wanted to swim. I wanted to have friends. I wanted to explore and expand my experience in life. Not that I was fully conscious of that, but looking back, I can see that clearly. And my grades were not a focus. And it's so interesting in life that we can want things so badly, but because there's such a deep desire from it, it creates a separation to it. And so in this experience with my father at this point in my life, I wanted so desperately for his approval. But yet, because I wanted it so much, I created more proof in my brain of how I was not receiving it. And so this created this thought or this belief in my being that nothing I would do would be enough. So even whenever I did earn his approval or his you know, words of being proud of me, 
I didn't feel it or receive it within. And really and truly in life, what we believe is what we perceive. And looking back, I can see that it doesn't matter. It wouldn't have mattered how much my dad was proud of me. I still would not have received it. I still would not have believed that he felt genuinely proud. Because even if his criticism, even if it was constructive criticism, trying to help me improve, I only saw disapproval. And it was established from early years of that pattern of physical and verbal abuse. And because that pattern was established in my brain, that was all that I could see. But in this, if I didn't go through this experience of constantly letting my dad down and perceiving that I was never good enough, I never would have tapped into the other side of what I experienced. Like I said, my mom was this loving, nurturing force in my life, and she would often tell me, Marissa, you can never change anyone but yourself. And she would tell me to call out to my Abba Daddy, as she would call it. She said, all the ways that your father isn't the love that you want him to be, your Abba Daddy is. I even remember in my own hatred and sadness and pain, I remember our TV where our home was, we had this brick. Uh, the mantle was totally brick. And we had, you know, one of these small TVs, totally not like what they have today with the flat screen. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it was a TV with like the big back and it was probably, you know, let's just say like two feet by two feet. I don't know the actual measurement. That's just how I personally remember, but it wasn't very big. And there was a brick overhang that came out and I was so small. I remember throwing myself underneath that TV space, screaming at the top of my lungs, I hate you. And I just remember releasing so much energy in that. It was the first time that I let him know that he really was hurting me, you know? And it was the first time that I allowed my smaller self to give in to all the pain and all of the unwanted emotions that I was feeling. But when my mom gave me this idea of the Abba Daddy, I began to feel that space with another energy and another essence. It was the first time that I was able to connect with a higher source of love. God, Abba Daddy, universe, infinite intelligence whatever it is for you, for me, it was profound. It was absolutely profound. You know, where my dad fell short, I could fill those gaps with love. And it was a love that was all around me, that was within me, that never left me, never forsake me, that knew the numbers of hair upon my head, that called me for a purpose, that chose me. And leaning into this, I developed a compassion for myself. I developed you know, when I felt hurt by my dad and I felt unaccepted, I would then turn to prayer. I would turn to this energy that loved me, that said, it's okay you didn't make the right grades. It's okay you didn't win that race. Like, it's okay. I still love you. I still called you. I still chose you. I still choose you today. And I'm never going to leave you. And if it wasn't for the extreme pain that I personally felt, from the experience with my dad at the time, I don't think that I would have been able to fully access this experience of love that wasn't in form, that wasn't actually tangible, 
but that was felt within my being. I remember many nights that I would, you know, fall asleep in tears, just crying, and I would hear yelling in the kitchen. And I would just cry and cry. And in my mind, I was wishing that my daddy loved me. But it's like I said before, what I believed is what I perceived. And so that was my experience, you know? And in those tears, I felt the love of God and I felt this compassion that would hold me through that experience. And so as we continue on in my story, we are going to piece together these experiences of my early childhood and how it created the identity that I hold, that I held, and how it helped me evolve into who I am today. One thing that I know for sure, looking back on this experience of, you know, my mom always telling me the story of having the nine miscarriages and how they didn't give up on having me, you know, as I was preparing for this episode, two things that really came to me that are very clear is I was instilled with this belief that I was special, that I was chosen, that I was wanted. And I also developed this belief that if you don't give up, you will get what you want. Those are the two fundamental elements and practices that my parents had to keep at in order for me to exist here in this form. And so those are two things that have followed me throughout my life up until this day. And I want you right now to consider the first seven years of your life. What do you remember? And how can you see your childhood as good? Have you ever connected with the deeper love that wasn't visible, but that you knew was there? I would love to challenge you to talk to a friend or a family member. Maybe your mom was also the source of love for you, or maybe it was a sibling or maybe it was no one and it's just you and you are all you've ever had. Whatever context you came into this life with, whoever you are today, whoever was around you, whether you grew up in an orphanage, whether you were adopted, whether you had two moms, whether you had one mom and the dad wasn't there, whether you had two dads, whether you had two parents, whatever the case may be, whether your aunt raised you, Whatever it is, know that it is exactly what you needed. And oftentimes we fight against this because it was painful. And so we don't want to accept that it was good for us. We don't want to accept that there's a lesson there or that it helped cultivate a sense of wisdom that developed within our being that would not have been there otherwise. And so I'm going to share so much more with you as we continue on this journey. But this is our stopping point for this story today in this adventure that we're on together. And in this, I want to help you expand your mind on the elements, the first seven years of your life that may have been painful. How can you see a positive light to it? How can you see, like for me, that I connected with this deeper source of love, but I had to have that pain in order to feel that love? Where is it in your life that you can find a positive? And it's okay if it doesn't come to you right now, it's totally fine. And maybe you're like, Marissa, my childhood was perfect. I don't know why I'm struggling today. I had everything that the dream child would want. That's okay too. Remember, this is not about trying to fit into my story or trying to force the lesson to come. This is about having an open heart and an open mind and knowing that the exact 
lesson and wisdom that you need is going to expand from this moment. It already has. It already is right now. And oftentimes we want to know in facts what the lesson is so that we can say it in a sentence. But the most beautiful lessons that we learn in life are felt and they are known. And oftentimes they are ineffable. It's hard to put it in words, you know? And so know that right now through listening, you have already expanded. So we have so much more to uncover and I'm going to continue to pull back the curtain And I have so many more lessons for you, but I hope that today you have reconsidered your childhood or maybe you've gone back to a part of your life that you've avoided for years. Because remember, it's the parts of us that we avoid that keep us stuck. And so today is about your breakthrough. And so I cannot wait to continue this journey with you. Know that I love you, I adore you, and I see you right where you are. I see the good in you and I believe in you. Now it's your time to believe for yourself. All right, my friend, I will see you next time here on the Marissa Morrison Show, where we will continue to dig deeper. Here we are again at the conclusion of another episode. I'm sending you a virtual hug, and I want you to know I am so proud of you for staying committed to your dreams. It's all possible, and it begins with you. If you'd like to discover more support, visit marissamorrison.net, where I have created opportunities for you to connect, expand, and to evolve into your greatest potential. Until next time, friend, I'm thinking of you and sending you all my love.